0: Hey, have you been with us? We're going to be picking right back up in the book of James. <clears throat> so grab a Bible. I'm sure you brought your Bible. And uh, <clears throat> if not, there's a Bible in the back of one of the pews. Then you grab that. James chapter 3 is where we will be picking back up today. James, the half-brother of Jesus, our Savior, empowered by the Holy Spirit, gave him these words that we read today in this letter that he was to write to believers. We see here that James in his letter continues to address the measurement or indicators of one who would rec- be classified or be considered a mature Christian. He highlights in his letter indicators or measurements to show you and I if we are spiritually mature or not. That James, being now born again, now being used by God in... The, in God's body, the church body, is being used to lead his God's people to maturity. And as he teaches, there was challenges in the early church. Not many years after our Lord Jesus Christ Ascended into heaven, and the start at Pentecost, the start of the church. It wasn't many years later that we see that the hearts of the people, these Jewish believers primarily that James is writing to, started going back to their old ways or old way of thinking. They desired the things of God. That wasn't a question. They desired to have a Savior. That wasn't their question. But to continue to grow and mature spiritually in their understanding of who God is, and to live it, is a whole other level. We learned last time we were together, we found that there are different faiths out there. And the faith that really changes our lives is a living faith, a dynamic faith, one that the Holy Spirit moves in the lives of people and changes people, sanctifying and, and maturing them in their understanding, yes, but their, their obedience to the Word of God. We find that James writes here, and, and we've, uh, the first indicator we talked about in chapter one was a mature Christian is patient in trials. You'll know of a mature person if you watch them go through trials how patient they are. Pretty simple, you would think. Not a hard thing to to indicate, is it? To look at someone's life you never even met, Complete stranger in the store and you watch a trial happen and you can see how they respond will tell you everything about their maturity. If, first of all, if they're a believer or not. And if they say they're a believer and they're getting a conversation with you, you will know if they're mature or not by their patience during time of trials and tribulations. The second indicator was in chapter 2. And if you remember, we see if a mature Christian, he practices living faith. It's not something of words only. These are things you watch and you watch her life. They are living out their faith. They're actually putting into practice. (laughs) How many times people say, do you work out? Oh, I work out all the time. It's, it's, It's amazing. It's a daily thing for me. It's a ritual. Oh, really? Yes, they watch sports, and they think they're working out or something. But when you actually ask the questions, what do you do? What do you practice every day in exercise? They go, well, it's at least in my mind I'm doing it. But there's no action. There's no living it out. And many people find themselves as saying, yes, they're a Christian, but they do not live out or practice the things of what the Word of God says. Again, it doesn't, say, it doesn't mean they're not a believer. It just means they're just not a mature believer. Today in chapter 3, we will see the third indicator of a mature Christian. He or she has power over the tongue. Ooh! Ooh! This is an easier one, right? Patience was the hard one. Living out practically, living in obedience to the word of God, oh, that's even harder. But just getting control over the tongue, that's a little thing. No big deal, right? Well, let's see what the word of God says versus what you think, right? See, James apparently had serious problems in the fellowship with the people's tongues, I know that's hard to believe, but that that can happen in some congregations. It appears in the very early church it happened as well. Nothing new under the sun. James had warned them in the beginning of the letter in James 1.19, if you remember, we need to learn to what? To be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He's already started off in the letter very quickly to address the issues that he was dealing with as a leader of this church. James also made it clear in his letter that if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. We see that in James 1 verse 26. James must have been experiencing some really intense, interesting fellowship time with these new believers. See, the power of speech is one of the greatest powers God has given us. With the tongue, a man can praise God, can pray to God, can preach the word of God, lead the loss to Christ. What a privilege that God has given man and woman the ability to use this little member, the tongue, to communicate great things. Life-changing things, eternal things. Amazing what he's given us. But with that same tongue, he can. T- That same man can tell lies, false information that can ruin a man's reputation or break a person's heart. See, the ability to speak words is the ability to influence others and accomplish tremendous, we learned last week, tremendous works or good works or tasks and yet we take this ability for granted. We take this ability to communicate and people to understand and to hear from this little member and take it for granted and let it just fly without even taking in consideration of what is coming off that tongue. It's amazing. if you ever the, 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 the how God created the tongue? The ability to just to taste alone—that that that study is amazing. I won't go into it. I thought about it, but I won't. But I love the tip of the tongue, right? Because it—that's where the taste buds are for the sweetness when you eat. There's something about brownie sweetness that it just is t- always off the tip of my tongue to want to talk about. Like I said, I better not go down that path. But James speaks about the impact on us and the importance of controlling or have controlled speech. And the great consequences of our words. We see here in this part of the letter in James, we're going to see in just the verses 1 through 12, three aspects or six illustrations he's going to pour out to us to understand what his point is to his believers. We'll see in verses 1 through 4, we see two things that he's going to bring as an illustration for you and I to understand this, this tongue. It's called the bit and the rudder. And we're going to see in verses 5 through 8 the fire and the animal. And we'll see in verses 9 through 12 the spring and the tree, more specifically the fig tree. Now, if you studied this before, you'll notice all six of these illustrations really shows the power of the tongue by giving it three things that it really does. The very first two, were going to see that this one, will start here, it says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we... All stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So, when we start looking at the scripture here, we start, as James has throughout this letter, with these very sincere, loving words My brethren. He says it eight times in this epistle My brethren, my brethren. I'm connected. We're connected here. We're not complete strangers. I'm writing this letter to you because I know you. You know me, my brethren. That's what I'm striving. Not talking to non-believers. just talking to believers here. We see three times he refers to them as his beloved brethren. That's even more of an intimate term in the Greek. It's a beloved brethren. There's a, not only I know your brothers and we kind of see each other from a distance, but I don't know your name. I I, I kind of know your face. I think we've seen each other. No, that's not that kind of brethren. We're talking a beloved brethren. A love for one another between these brothers, between these sisters. This is a beloved brethren. These are a relationship building here. We don't belong to some organization, and that's why we only have commonality here. uh, Beloved brethren, sisterly love. There's a family unity here. That's what he's writing. This is who he's writing to. And in the same epistle, four more times, he refers to them as brethren. But again, each of those shows a relationship, and he wants to tell them, let not many of you brethren that are out here that I'm talking to, make sure, he says right up front, become teachers. Don't, don't, don't let many of you become teachers. So obviously, many were trying to become teachers within the, the body of, uh, of Christ there. Many of them started taking on that role and responsibility of teaching other people. But James warns them as the leader. Let not many of you become teachers knowing, you know this, knowing that we shall receive, he's including himself, that we, we, including himself, shall receive a stricter judgment. Judgment. Oh, these are strong words. Many will cause a man who God has called to be a pastor, teacher, to teach the word of God, to do these things. Many times we think it's just me standing up here. No, there are teachers in the children's ministry. There's teachers in in many capacities and ways, but teaching the word. Men, fathers, you're to be teaching the word to your children and to your wife. You're supposed to be doing these things. But he's more specifically in the role and responsibility of not within the family unit, but within the church body is what he's referring to very clearly. Because all men are to teach their children. He's saying not many within the church body are to teach. Why? Because in the time when you are judged, when God brings you into his presence and he looks at everything we've said and says, okay, what's going to be rewarded? There is a level of judgment or a level of testing or stricter judgment on those who taught the word of God. So I and you standing beside me or however that plays out in heaven and we're at the, the bema seat and we're getting rewards. Just know, be very careful Oh, I wish I was a pastor because I would get me more rewards. No, that's not what it says here. It says, watch what could have happened to Corey. And you're going to go, oh, I'm so glad I did not teach the word of God. That's what could happen. Why? Because there's a stricter judgment why? Because not only is God looking at my life and at anyone who's teaching the Word of God is going to be much stricter on how I live my life. That's what I believe as I study this. It's not so much as the behemoth It is really in my life today. How am I living my faith? I'm going to be strictly judged by all of you and by God and as the spirit of god moves in my heart much stricter judgment and how i live my life why because how i live my life can affect you if i do not live out my life according to the word of god it will affect you i will be held responsible for that god keeps me accountable to that not only how i live my life but what i teach from his word there's a tremendous weight if you've never taught the word of god you don't understand the weight and the 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 spiritual warfare that comes and attacks all week long it never ends It comes in all different directions and from all different types of people because of the words they use through the week. Because he's saying it's good that you're you're if you're called by God to do it. But understand before you take that decision to teach the word, you are under a stricter judgment because people are watching you. I'm watching you. You're, there's all kinds, even the devil is watching, or demonic forces watching you. But apparently, everybody in the congregation wanted to get into the acts of teaching and being a spiritual leader. Why? Because in the old religious ways to be Jewish, and you had to go through certain schoolings and all teachings, and special—you know—you had to be in a lineage. I mean, you just couldn't become a priest. You couldn't just become a rabbi. Now in this, this following of Jesus and the calling that God puts on people's lives, they were more open in the ability to teach the word where before they could not do that. Oh, it's all exciting to teach the word. I can teach the word. Everyone tells me they can teach the word. Oh, until you teach the word. <laughs> then you realize, no, I really can't teach the word. But James is making it clear a very sober warning for those who would become teachers in the church that with that ability or that position comes tremendous responsibility and accountability of their lives. And they will receive a stricter judgment. See, it's easy to take the position of a teacher lightly, just teaching the children, no big deal. It's a big deal. Just teaching it, ladies or men's studies. It's no big deal. It's a big deal. I'm just going to do a little home Bible study and gather people together. Be a nice little social time together. And Oh, we need social time. And then I know I should put teach the Word of God. But be careful if you are called to teach the Word of God because even that little home fellowship you're creating for yourselves because you need social time. Be very careful. You'll be stricter judgment upon you because you're teaching In that environment. See, there is an absolute cost that you must count before you decide to teach the Word of God. Jesus warns to those to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much have been committed of him, they will ask the more. Luke 12, 48. There's an expectation, accountability, responsibility that comes with the teaching. So he says to them, "Don't be quick to want to teach the word of God. Don't think it's you know it's just some fun thing and it wrote a notary some notary and you got your little initials and titles and all these things that makes you feel important and loved and warm. Don't go- that is not the time to get into teaching of the word because of that." See, the words of Jesus and James reminds us that being among the teachers in God's church is more than a matter of having a natural ability to to teach because you do it at your corporation all the time. You do it at your company all the time. You do it in whatever professional environment you may teach that. That is not teaching the Word of God. (laughs) That's the difference. You might have the ability to communicate. That little tongue moves just like everyone else's. You might even have spiritual gifts, but there is an additional dimension of appropriate character and right living that must be seen in a person's life who teaches the word of God. James found that this role of church work has become very popular in the early church and that is why James is warning them of the serious responsibilities that comes with that and the strictness and accountability of, or the the judgment that can come upon you because of the influence you have on other people and you should not take that lightly why because he also says here in the scripture that for we all stumble in many things we all stumble See, the greater accountability of teachers is especially sobering in light of this common weakness that all of us as humans have, that we all have the ability to stumble. Different ways, but all stumble. He was including himself in this this text, that I stumble to you, so this is not easy for me, and I'm the one that's leading this church, I'm the one that's teaching you. I'm telling you, this is a serious business. We all stumble. James included himself, yes, but he did not excuse his or our stumblings that he's not saying it's okay. We all stumble. It's okay. No big deal. Just keep going on. Just don't stumble a lot. No, he didn't say that. We know that we all stumble, but we should all press on to a better walk with Jesus, a better walk with the Lord, marked with less stumbling. When you first come to Christ, you're still tripping all over yourself. And your old ways of life and all kinds of past and habits and things. You're tr- that's why I keep telling you, just keep showing up regardless how you feel. For the especially the first six months to a year, because you're stumbling all the time. Like you, you're like you're questioning your salvation because you're still stumbling over the old natures and old habits. No, no, keep going, keep going. Just because you, the fact that you want to actually keep going and following Jesus, this is a good sign. But let me tell you, my brothers and sisters. You should not look like the same. You should not be stumbling over the same things and as frequently as you did when you first got saved or when you were saved compared to now. There should be a changed life that should be taking place. As God does a work in you and sanctifies you. And this is just one of many places in the statements in the Bible that tells us that all men sin. But notice, and he also says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. <laughs> How do you like that? He, it's interesting if he says, I, I, I like it when you think, about, think that through a little bit as a measurement of, of spiritual maturity, especially for teachers or for all Christians, that Jesus demonstrated in Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37, that words are the revelation of the inner character of a man. Or of a woman. That that the words they use, that what comes out of that mouth, really reflects what your inner character or inner characteristics are of who you are. See, to not stumble in words shows true spiritual maturity. He took it from, we all stumble in many ways... Then he takes it to the next level of scripture and says, But let me talk about one specific stumbling, and that's with your word. He says, If you do not stumble in word, you are perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but shouldn't we show grace more to people? in how they communicate and what they communicate as they're maturing as a brand new believer? Should we be patient with them as they're growing and maturing? Parents, shouldn't you be more gracious and, and patient with your children as they mature physically, yes? Mentally, yes, but spiritually, yes? Because they need to grow mature so that their words that they use are more in control. That takes time. Now, it's a show of spiritual maturity, especially relevant to teachers, but who also have more opportunity to sin with their tongue if you're always teaching. You have more apt to say things that you wish you never said. They're more apt to stumble because they're teaching more. We can stumble in word about ourselves. We can stumble by boasting about ourselves. We can say words that are boasting that are not, not pleasing at all to God. We can also be, stumble in our words with exaggeration or selective reporting of who we are and what we've done. We can stumble in that way versus being truthful and honest and open and transparent of who we are. And many of us, all of us, stumble at some point in some way. But as you mature as a Christian, that should be less and less and less an issue. We also know that we can stumble in word about other people because we can use words that are very harsh toward other people. We can use words of criticism or gossip or slander or cruelty or two-facedness or anger or flattery or insincere um, words, meaning that you're, you're, you're just saying these words because you're trying to gain something from someone. You can stumble in those ways. We all have. The question is, are you maturing as a Christian so it less and less and less that defines you how do you know about a mature Christian not because they tell you you they've been walking with Christ for 30 years that that means absolutely nothing to me it only (laughs) what it does do when someone says I've been walking with Christ for 30 years is I listen to the words because now I'm going to be much more stricter in my what my evaluation of the what the words come out of their mouths and their actions. And if I hear someone who's walking with the Lord and says, Oh, I've been loving the Lord and following the Lord. I've been in the Word for 30 years. And you're still a critical, spirited, harsh, and, and, and divisive, and, 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 and just short-tempered and angered and all these. I'm sorry. It doesn't pass the, the go test for me. I don't know where you've been studying and what you've been doing, but you certainly haven't been applying. And he goes here, and he, this very first time, the power of the tongue, he displays it in very specific terms here, that power to direct with words. Look at how he says it in verse 3. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. You ever been on a horse? You ever had those reins in your hands? That horse could throw you a mile. Just like that. But with just a slight tug, it just moves the entire horsepower whatever direction you want it to go. That little bit in that big mouth can move it now it's interesting you can spend a lot of time on just that, that imagery but notice here he also in verse 4 he says also look also at ships if you ever been around a ship you understand how big, big these things really are right not your little fishing boat i'm talking about a ship Right? With a rudder. He says, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now, when you just ponder on verses three and four here, real quick, you understand that that little bit, that little rudder, that has power to direct large, powerful items. A horse, Or a ship. Now, a small bit in the mouth controls this strong horse who has the power to overcome and to do whatever it wants to. You have no power. But with the bit, you do. That small rudder turns a large ship. Without that rudder, the ship would what? Would go out of control. Even so, if we control over the tongue, it is an indication that we have control over ourself. Another great question. Do you have self-control? Sure I do. Let's listen to your words over time and we will know if you truly have self-control. Whoever can control the tongue, James says, can bridle the whole body. If the bit and the rudder are small but extremely important, if they are not controlled, the entire horse is out of control. The entire ship is out of control if that rudder is not controlled. It is possible for something as small as the tongue is to have tremendous power over good and evil. This is how important James is making this to the believers. That if you don't have control really good, or I should say really evil, is going to come out. If there is control, really good will come out. If you don't solve the problem of an unruly Horse by keeping it in the barn. You can't take a horse and say, I can't control it, I'm just going to put it in the barn, lock it up and never let it out. That's not how you could solve the problem. You don't solve a problem with the ship going crazy and going all over by putting it in the dock and just dry docking it and never using it. That's not how you have control over it. So the question is, who or what holds the reins or who or what directs the rudder? Some people have no hand on the reins or the rudder. They have no control or therefore... They, they just allow whatever comes out of their mouth to come out of their mouth. Because there's no control over their tongue. Others direct the tongue from their emotions or from some aspect of their carnal nature. It's your carnal nature or it's your emotions. Or no control at all. You're just letting it freely go. No one's got the hand on the on the, the the wheel at all or the reins at all. And they just let it go. Whatever they want to say and feel like saying, they say it. Have you been around people like that before? You ever been in a store you're quietly standing there in line and you're waiting to see? And all of a sudden you, you see people and you're kind of, oh, okay. Uh, that's interesting. And all of a sudden you look at someone in the an older age category, and all of a sudden that woman's just a foulness comes out of her mouth? And she looks so elegant, she looks so put together outwardly, but all of a sudden she opens her mouth and the most vile, lustful things come out of her mouth and you went, did that really just happen? You ever seen a family and all of a sudden the kids four, five, six, seven, eight-year- olds all of a sudden start just cursing and just yelling and emotionally out of control and just swearing like it, like, what am I? And the parents just stand there like, just like son like Dad. Just like that mom and daughter. What comes out of the mouth really reflects the inner person. James points us toward having the Spirit of God in control of this tongue. Who do you want to have their hands on that tongue of yours? Oh, please, Lord, take full control. So I don't say things that I wish I had never said. See, James says you need to have the spirit of control working through this new man, this new woman, this new creation. i changed your life. You're no longer the old sinful man and woman. No, no, you've been forgiven. You have been cleansed. You have been set free. Your heart's been changed. Now the words coming out of your mouth must change. And they will change because your heart has changed. Because the Spirit of God who lives within you as being a born-again believer is now working through this new man and setting direct hands on the reins and the rudder of that tongue. The power to direct. How are your words directing around other people in your life? Is it really driven by the Spirit of God or is it driven still by your flesh? The next one he uses is certainly the ability, not only the power to direct, but the, certainly the power we will find here, this tongue can actually destroy. It says right here in verse 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great to, a forest, a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire A world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Now, these verses (laughs) 5 and 6 is pretty powerful, don't you think? What James is saying to you and I is here, this fire of the tongue has been used to burn many. Our tongue has literally touched and branded people. So hot and so searing, it affects that person's life the rest of their life. Oh, we must be careful. The words we use with our children. Many counseling I have done of adults who are still dealing with searing words that were left imprinted on them their whole life and now they're 30, 40, 50 still dealing with things that their parents had said to them oh that nursery rhyme that many people say sticks and stones may break my bones but words can never hurt me that is the most lying statement you can make. Clearly, whoever came up with that was not of a godly nature of knowing the Scripture. Amen? Bones heal. Searing words do not. The first two illustrations that James gives us, for being con- being direct, are the, that the, these two things direct the power to direct things, um, the bit and the rudder. We see that can control they can control or can destroy people's lives by the words we use. And Paul says here, it's little, I know, don't, don't think it's just because it's not big, it's not can't destroy. That little member can boast great things. It can say things and boast up that is not true, not accurate, not make it bigger than it really is. And, and you hear people use words that go, did that really what happened? Is that really that big? Is it that serious? But p- people can boast on things that are, shouldn't be boasted about. And he says here it's like a forest. It's, it's, it's just a little fire kindles. All it does is take a little tiny spark and it can absolutely ravage thousands and thousands of acres. Watch California every year. Still burning, still burning, thousands of acres and newscraft everywhere. And it all started with someone flicking a cigarette or something. Not even a firefly. It was just hot enough and that's what it started. Backfire. A little spark from the car on the side of a road. Millions and millions of dollars of possessions and structures are gone. And the tongue is a fire. That's what James says in verse 6. That tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. In my early days as a Christian and being in the work environment, people would say things, man, they're hot coming off that tongue. And I was like, Lord, how am I going to deal with these people? <laughs> I, I, I could be like James and John and ask for the fire to come down <laughs> and wipe out like the Gentile world, you know, that town. But I grew and matured and realized, oh, no, that's not what the Lord asked me to think and pray for. So Lord said, why don't you quench that, that fiery tongue of theirs? Why don't you, every time they talk like that, why don't you get them a bottle of water and, and hand them a bottle of water? You know, that solved my problem. It changed my heart because I now wanted to serve, I wanted to show kindness and said, okay, Lord, I'm going to show kindness. It leads people to repentance. So, so I would give them bottles of water, and they'd say, what's this for? I just felt like I should probably give you some water because it's a hot day, and I want you to not be overheated. Oh, it would frustrate them. Because how do they get, you know, spewing out all that yuck and garbage, turn around, and how do you keep doing that when someone just showed you an act of kindness? They'd try, but I would just give them another bottle of water and another, <laughs> and another, and day after day. And eventually, guess what happened? They stopped spewing out against me. And I didn't say anything other than, I hope you would like a, some water. It's, it's quite hot out there today. I didn't say, your tongue is so on fire it's burning me here. No, I didn't say those things. I thought those things, so the Lord had to get, those, get that under control too. See, what others say to us and what we say to others can last a long time. And it can be for good or for evil. Yes, the casual, sarcastic, and critical remark can inflict a lasting injury or impact on another person. Sarcasm's not of God. The critical spirit of words used is not of God. That well timed encouragement, that well timed compliment, it can inspire someone for the rest of their life. The question is what's coming out of our mouths? Is it one of encouragement? One of boasting up or lifting up and encouraging them in their walk as a believer or even as a non-believer to try to find something kind and gentle and loving toward that person? Or are you always stewing in your heart of what you can violently come against them because you just have so much bitterness and so much envy and jealousy and all these things that are happening in your heart? Proverbs speaks of the person who doesn't consider the destructive power of his words. Proverbs 26, verses 18 and 19, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Ooh, that pressed on some buttons. Have we not said, oh, I'm, I was only joking? Like that somehow pacifies and justifies the fiery statement of destruction you just said. It doesn't. Fire not only starts small, it always grows. And not only does it start small and grows, it creates tremendous heat. And it also defiles everything in its path. I'll give you an illustration. A little fire in your house. Eventually that could possibly spread. If you put it out in time, it won't spread. It will stop. But more of the time, you get that to stop or to be limited before it creates a lot of heat. But it can still defile the entire house. Your house will smell like smoke for days and days to a point you might actually have to gut it and redecorate the entire thing because you cannot get the smoke out of the house. that is words my brothers and my sisters you can say things that seem so small to you but that little fire if it doesn't give you don't deal with it immediately and apologize and ask for forgiveness of the word that you said it was just a word I know that's what you're saying it's just a word But guys, let me tell you, the one word can absolutely turn your wife and your kids from a small world that you think it is into a raging fire of argument that will defile, and that smoke from that word will linger in your house and your relationship for days and years to come. We must deal with with those words quickly and tenderly and kindly and and take full responsibility. You made me say that. No, she did not. No, he did not. No, they did not. What comes out of your mouth is from your heart, the Bible says. you're just brought to a point where it came out of your heart out of your mouth oh how if our if this trap of ours would stay shut sometimes the teeth would just keep closed and keep that tongue from moving it would save many marriages see fire burns and hurts and our words burn and hurt. The only thing that can wash away the defilement of that smoke from that fire is only the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that's going to, to cleanse that defilement of that words that you said in the life of that person or family. See, one of the many sorrows our Lord had to deal with and, de- and heard and had to bear when he was on earth, was exactly what James is warning people about. His, his enemies used to call him the glutton and the wine-bibber because the fact that he hung around tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because he actually graciously accepted invitations to dine with people that the Pharisees did not like. And these religious leaders would turn around and say these words, and, and you look and go, oh, a glutton. I doesn't sound that bad. But you understand that word is not a good word. Calling someone a glutton is not an a, a uplifting, encouraging word. You understand that. Being a winebibber, you are a drunk. You're sloshed. And talk like it's no big deal. Do you realize it is a big deal when you use those words against people? It's, you're defining outwardly the character of people. Here the Lord is graciously accepting invitations, trying to minister to reach people, and all they could do is just come against them. When he was performing miracles. They said. You're, you're, those, you're doing those miracles? You're in the same camp as Satan. Even when he was dying on the cross. For their sin. His enemies. Could not let him alone. And did nothing but throw out vicious. Vicious. Taunts in his face and he was on the cross to die for their sin many times as Christians we were looking to try to help non-believers we're trying to help those in the faith we're trying to help our brothers and sisters and we're trying to share and they turn around and the sheep bite you wait a minute I'm here to try to help you you're biting me? Why would you say that about me? Why would you say that about my family? Why would you say that about... Because that person's heart is not right with God. That is why. Again, James isn't telling us that we should never speak. Put us at dock put us in the barn, lock us up. He's not saying go into your house and not come out. Go find some high, high mountaintop retreat with no other society around and you're just going to sit there by yourself in your little hut. That is not the answer. That doesn't bring self-control. Taking a vow of silence is not going to solve your problem. In many ways, that might be easier than exercising true self-control over the tongue. Not to say that I haven't thought about wanting to take and buy you that little hut on the top of the hill so you can go. Sometimes in my early days, I would may think that. But the bridle and the rudder and the fire can all do tremendous good as well. When they're controlled properly, there aren't many sins that don't involve talking in some way, isn't there? James certainly makes it clear, along with understanding of the proverbs, proverbs ten verses nineteen through twenty one. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. <laughs> There's lots of sin in words people are using, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for the lack of wisdom. We saw, and I love the fact that men are, and Thursday nights are going through the scriptures because we find that we're coming across a lot of Proverbs and we're having lots of discussions around the tongue. We touched on Proverbs 12 verses 25 says anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. We see in Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the bones. Proverbs 18:21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, fire spreads. And the more fuel you give it, the faster and farther it will spread. So let me encourage you men. If you say something you wish you had never said, don't keep talking. Go silent. Ask for forgiveness and repent and take full ownership of the words that came out of your mouth. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to rationalize it. It just makes it spread and become hotter fire, let me assure you. Ladies, increasing your volume and a higher pitch and a little scream kind of tone to it does not make it better. It increases the fire heat. It makes it worse. And spreads it throughout the house. Go quiet. Go more gentle and softer. So it's easier to communicate effectively in love. Are you with me, ladies? See, see, James makes it clear and suggests the fact that life is connected and therefore cannot be kept, keep things from spreading. Everything's connected. Everything has a rippling effect and affects other people around you. And how important it is for us to let our speech always be with grace and seasoned with salt, Colossians 4.6. Let me repeat that, Colossians 4.6. I recommend you meditate on that scripture. Now in verses 7 and 8, we have the difficulties that James talks about in taming this tongue. It says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. Let me repeat it. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now that's strong words here because not only in verse six says that this fire can set in nature an emotion that's going that is a from the pit of hell It's the word that word there was gehadi it's a it's a part where in, in Jerusalem they're at that's where they set all their garbage it was a slow burn it was always burning constantly 24 hours 7 days a week always constantly burning it's all the the waste the human waste they would just put it all in this Gehedi. this area that would just constantly smolder and smell and burn that's where it's coming from if you're not careful. That's what's coming out of your mouth. Hell, Gehedi. Here in this verse, of seven and eight, he talks about it's full of deadly poison, it's full of unruly evil if you're not careful. He uses a couple of more illustrations here, right? The, the animal, he says, every, ki- every kind of beast, and bird, and reptile, and creature of the sea. Is tamed. It's been demonstrated. Mankind can tame it. Shamu is a huge big thing. And it, it, they, they, they they've tamed it and be able to do tr- all kinds of tricks, and dolphins and, and parakeets can say things they probably shouldn't be saying, and all kinds of things people teach. People take the strangest of animals and tame them. Why you want to have a pet scorpion? I have no idea. I don't deal with serpents, but to have a pet and train it and tame it so you can slither around you, I, I, I don't get it. I've had people try to rationalize it with me. I, just, I still don't get it. <laughs> I just don't get it. Oh, the serpent that came and introduced itself to Eve. I, I just look at the scripture. I don't even want to be tempted in any form or fashion with that thing. How many people tamed to lions and then they turned on them and they've lost their lives? <laughs> Get a stuffed bear. Okay, you don't need a real bear. You really don't. It doesn't make you more manly. Okay, just don't do it. But we see here that James really says the fact that they can tame this, but his contrast is the fact that regardless of how big these animals are, and you can tame them and man is able to, you're not able to tame your tongue. You can't. The tongue, when it's brought under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit, (laughs) it's probably the best way of saying is that only God is mighty enough to tame that tongue of yours. So many therapists and so many, you know, self-help kinds of things says, do this, do this, this. I'm telling you very clearly what the Bible says. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can tame that tongue of yours. And if you don't have God, your ability to control the tongue is Impossible. It's impossible. When I'm around non-believers and they're spewing things out, I don't try to tell them what to do and not to do with their tongue. I, I, they, they don't have control over it. Why do I think I'm going to control their tongue? Unless you're in a position like, I, you know, in business, I can sit there and say, those are rules, and if you break those rules, there's consequences. And, you know, so some boundaries you can kind of put controls on. You own the business. You can say, it. no, you can't do that. But that doesn't stop their tongue, does it? They'll just say it in the, the washroom or the kitchen or somewhere else in the business, company. Before they walked into the business, walked out of the they're still talking to other people about it. They, you can't change it. Only the Holy Spirit can change your tongue. And if you know that for a fact and know that for sure because it's in the scriptures, then how do you deal with someone in your life that has a tongue that's not controlled? You need to pray for their heart that the Holy Spirit would control and change their heart. That is what you can do is pray for a changed life. Because once a person, we see that James says here, it's so unruly, it's full of deadly poison. One word can literally poison you and your thoughts and your person for the rest of your life with those words. A man or a woman who has a mindset is so dangerous when they say, I can speak my mind. I can say whatever I want to say. When you're hearing that from someone, you're, you're dealing with a person that is not in their right mind or their right heart. It's not, that is a person that is very dangerous. They can poison you with their words. They literally can destroy you if you're not careful. You must limit or find ways to bring some boundaries around people who are like that, I, who says, I can speak my mind. I can just sit come whatever comes out of my mind I can just come, let it whip out from this tongue it is so unwise you're dealing for with an unwise person so not only does the words the power to direct with the rudder and the and the bit we also see the fact that we can have a tongue that can destroy it, it can certainly do that in regards to a fire and and uh in in a person's life, it just what comes right off that thing. The poison, the, the animals that, that can harm you from that. But we also see the power to delight. This is verses 9 through 12. And this is what we want to see coming from our lives. It says, with, with it, bless our Lord. With it, we bless our God and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude or the image of God. Verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursings, my brethren. These things ought not to be. So we see him right up front says, okay, here you are blessing our father, blessing God, worshiping him with your mouth. You're singing to him. You're worshiping him to him. You're sitting there raising hands maybe even to to, to even emphasize the words you're singing while you're worshiping or praying. But Be careful here because you can also use that same tongue to curse men who were made in the image of God. You come here and you worship and you sing and you pray and you talk. Oh, God bless you, brother, and I love you. And and you get in the car and you just absolutely ravage your family with your words. That ought not to be. That ought not to be. Because you're destroying things versus delighting. He says in verse 11, Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh What kind of spring are you? You say you're a Christian. You say you love God. You say you worship God. You say you want to follow Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you worship Him, yes. But then you turn around and you just curse people. You tear people down. You're critical and spirited. And you say all these things about a person. You can't justify it because they were rude to you or because they did something horrible to you. That doesn't justify us to turn around and then curse them and to tear them down with your words. That's not what God's word says here. What is coming out of you as a Christian? Is it good water or is it bitter or salty water? What's coming out of your mouth? You can't have both. Remember Peter's tongue? Confess Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and then turn around and deny Jesus with curses? Remember John? Little children love one another, and then turn around and ask for God to bring down fire from heaven and torch the Samaritan village? See, the importance of our words, a spring provides cool water. It provides this living, this beautiful water to refresh someone, to help them stay alive and to bring a blessing to many. That's what a spring is designed to do. Water is so needed for drinking and for washing and cooking and farming and all these other activities. Water is so important in a life of a person. The words of a man's mouth are as deep as waters. And the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. We see that in Proverbs 18.4. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. Proverbs 10.11. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Proverbs 13.14. Words are very important to a person's life. We also know that water is life giving and our words can give life. That's how important this tongue can be used by God to help give life to another person. If the water is not controlled, it brings death and destruction. We call it a flood. But when death and life are in the power of the tongue, we know that, Proverbs 18, 21. But it's interesting, as you come to the spring and you draw water from the spring, how many people rarely ever sit there and go, ooh, I hope the spring doesn't turn into a flood and kill me. That's not what you think. You always come to the spring to draw the water up, to be refreshed, to, be, to have life and to give you, to feed into your life, to help you to feel better not destruction of a flood. We only think of the precious gift of refreshment when we drink the water. Proverbs twelve eighteen, there is that speaking that like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of a wise is health. Paul even prayed that he might refresh the saints in Rome when he would come to them. He said, I want to be a refreshing, I want to come with words that are refreshing to you, to encourage you in the challenges as being a Christian and living this life. I want to be calm and I want to refresh you. The question is, do you desire to refresh those around you with the words that you use? When you come in contact with a person, do you find yourself coming looking to be refreshed in that time of fellowship and be encouraged and refreshed and to partake of what they have and those encouraging and loving and, and, and loving words that they're pouring out into in your time of fellowship? Do you walk up to someone thinking, "I'm going to gather this refreshing?" time this water from their lives and then time find out you're about to hit a flood that shouldn't happen not only water is life giving water is cleanses remember the Old Testament the tabernacle and the temple they had this lavier outside where the priests would wash their hands and feet God's word is the spiritual water that cleanses us John fifteen three, Ephesians 5 verses 26 and 27 it comes as spiritual waters cleanses us But our word to others can also be cleansing and sanctifying to them if you're pouring out the word of God into their lives. Our words ought to be a life that rivers described in Ezekiel 47, that river that everything that it touched, it brought life. Does that reflect your life? The word you use, wherever you go, brings life to people. The tongue can also be a delight, delightful because it's a tree of life. Remember in the Bible lands? Trees were vital and important because everywhere, that if they didn't have trees, that that society would die because it was an economic and it was an environment that brought life into that area and water was so important for those trees to bring that life. It brings stability, it brought shade, it brought beauty, it brought, it bared fruit for them to partake and to sell and for the economy. It was so important. And like Proverbs, one that the roots need to go deep. It needs like a tree planted by the rivers of water that gives life and due season. And just like that tree that's planted and water's provided in the fruit, our words can help shelter, encourage a weary traveler and help feed a hungry soul. See, as we gather together, fellowship is so inc- critical because in the time of fellowship is where God can use his people to bring shelter and food and refreshment for the weary traveler in this world. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, John six sixty three. And as we share his word with others, we feed them and encourage them along their life journey. See, James said, <laughs> that spring of the, the coming out of your mouth, it can't be both. It can't be salty. It can't be bitter. It, And be fresh at the same time. We must be consistently glorifying God. We should use one vocabulary with one tone of speeching at church. And in a different tone at home. And a different one at job. And a different, like you're one person here, one person there. And one person somewhere else. And when you're by yourself. No, you should be the same person. Because what you need to here's a reality check for you if you haven't heard this: when you're one way at church, one way at home, one way at job, one way at your neighbors, one way when you're with the guys, and one with your the girls, do you realize you are the same person? All of those, the way you talk in all those environments, that's you. That ought not to be. It should be, in all those environments, one of refreshing. If it, that's consistent, if you're consistent at church, and when you're with the guys, you're the exact same way. When you're at work, you're the exact same way. What comes out of your mouth is refreshing and encouraging and uplifting and building up and supportive and loving. and Then you're on track, man. You're on track. Because you're the same characteristic, you're the same heart in all environments then you're mature. You're a mature Christian, and you're on track. Keep going. But if that doesn't speak of you, you need to change. And that's why you're here, is to be changed by the Spirit of God. See, Jesus made it clear in Matthew 12, verse 34 through 37, that a man's words are a reliable revelation of his inner character. If you're a fig tree, you're only going to produce figs. If you're a grapevine, you're only going to produce what it was designed to produce. It won't produce something different. Because whatever the fruit is being produced is the tree that you are. So you can't sit there, I'm a grapevine, and bear figs. It doesn't work that way. You don't sit there and spew out fruit of ugliness and destruction and unloving and unkind and, and all these things and say you're a loving Christian. You can't. You can't say you're refreshing and have bitter words, salty words coming out of your mouth that are just terrible to taste. Unless you are regenerated, born from above by a new and heavenly birth, you are not Christians. Whatever you may call it, you call it, but you cannot produce the fruit which is acceptable to God. Any more than a fig tree can produce olive berries. That's why you have to be changed by God. Only he can tame that tongue. And if the tongue is inconsistent, there's something radically wrong with the heart. Let me say that again. If there is something inconsistent coming off that tongue of yours, there's something radically wrong with your heart. The tongue that blesses the Father then turns around and curses the men made of God's image is desperately in need of spiritual medicine. You need to take his medicine. You need to go quickly to the divine provider, the divine doctor to prescribe you an absolute cure for that heart issue you have. Just remember Matthew 15, 18 But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. They defile a man. The problem with your tongue or that person's tongue is not their environment, not how they grew up, and not the lack of hope and all the justifications, rationalizations, kinds of stuff. No, it is a heart problem. And only God can change the heart. They need to come to Jesus. Amen? See, I know, and I know many, if not most, here, as we fill our hearts with God's word and yield to the Holy Spirit in obedience. God can use us in such a delightful way in the lives of other people that you're refreshing to be around. When you're around you, I feel energized because I'm refreshed versus drained. (laughs) Have you been around someone who drains you every time you even talk to them or even listen to them? How do you want to be? Do you want to be one of those people who drains people or who refreshes and encourages people? Especially in your family, especially in the church family, especially in, the, in anywhere you go, you want to be that spring of life, springing forward that helps others be refreshed and encouraged around you. Give God your tongue commit your tongue to him and your heart each day and ask him to use you to be a blessing to others ask it's according it is according to his will you're not asking anything that goes against his will he asks you to ask him let me fill you afresh with the holy spirit today so that your heart would change and will come out spring of living water. That will be refreshing to everyone around you. What are the most powerful words they say out there today that should be in the, so important to our language today, that changes the dynamics of, of relationships? What are they? Please. Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. And do you know the last one? I'm praying for you. Those are the most encouraging words you can learn and teach your children to not only just, just say those words, but actually mean those words. With the right heart. Amen?